Welcome to Synergy Mindset Coaching, the community and podcast designed to inspire your mindset to help you take daily action towards your goals and achieve your dreams. I am your host, Gina Johnson. Our guest today often speaks on topics such as how to raise millions for your startup, productivity hacks that work, and traveling the world. He was told as a boy that he had a disorder called ADHD. Today, instead of sharing his business expertise, he has joined us to share his story about how he turned ADHD into a superpower. He learned how to build a team, use his creativity, and start a successful company. Today, he enjoys location independence and the opportunity to serve and help thousands of people wake up in the morning, reduce cravings, quit smoking, and defend against distractions. This call takes place in a cafe in Colombia. Our connection struggled at times and there is some background sound. If you're wearing earbuds, this is a warning to be careful because the sound has some people talking and a dog barking in the background. It is an amazing interview as we hear his story and learn about how to change our habits to achieve our mission in life. Please welcome the founder of Pavlok, Manish Seti, to the show. Manish, please start off by telling us a little bit about yourself so that we can get to know you. Sure. So my name is Manish Sethi. I'm the founder of a company called Pavlock. We help people change habits utilizing technology, software, and coaching. Yeah, it's extremely powerful for helping people form good habits and break bad habits. Um, we're most well-known for helping people wake up early. Basically, you get an electric zap to wake you up. Um, about 100% of people wake up to it. And we're really well-known for helping people quit bad habits like smoking, nail-biting, unhealthy eating, and negative thoughts. Uh, very rapidly in about five days. So that's uh, that's me. Um, and recently, what's cool is we moved our company to be virtual. So I moved down to South America. So I'm currently doing this call from Medellin, Colombia, which is nice because I get to wear a t-shirt and that's it. That is awesome. Now, some of the things that really stuck out, uh, may I share just as I was like going through your bio and in your interviews? Sure couple things. One was the, the tagline you said with James Swanwick, if you want something, make it happen. And you've had some pretty cool things like your interview on Shark Tank, turning down Kevin O'Leary. And mm -hmm. it took me 37 years to gain that courage to be able to live by my values. So I was so impressed with how you were able to just walk away despite like the negativity and insults that they threw at you. I think that's amazing. Yep. And, um, also having overcome like quitting smoking and nail biting myself, you know, being able to invent something that's that quick, that impactful, that is amazing. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that there's like the type of people who are really good at execution or getting things done. And then there's a type of people who are more creative and have a lot of trouble with focus. And in our modern society, we tend to classify people who are good at executing as good, like morally good. Yeah. And people yeah. who, people who, um, have trouble finishing things, we actually call it, we, we say that they have a disorder. We think that they're not just not just mentally ill, but morally bad. It's really interesting how that's happened and evolved in our modern society, especially in America. And um, I think that it's a really debilitating problem. Um, I was telling you earlier that when I grew up, uh, I was diagnosed suffering from ADHD. And my, um, my doctors would tell me that I had ADHD. My parents, my mom told me I needed to drink more milk. She's just the Indian mother. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And what was really interesting was how I could never get myself to get any work done. But somehow, at the last minute, I would somehow magically get stuff done when it was due, when the deadline was yeah, coming up. Yeah. 
Yes. And I found it really interesting because for a lot, most of the time, I would get the same results as people who were good at focusing, good at sitting down, good at execution. Um, but I was getting the same results, and it led to this massive imposter syndrome. Like I was cheating the system by succeeding on the test without doing the amount of studying that they were doing. And I found this to be really, really debilitating over time because what, like, I don't know, it just made me feel like I was a bad person, mm -hmm. even if people, especially when people were rewarding me for doing stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, it was so strange how they started to classify that as a disorder. So when we got to, uh, when I got to college, uh, I was lucky enough to go to Stanford University, which is a, a pretty good, pretty good school. And I yeah. got to work in a habit, in a habit lab with uh, Professor B.J. Fogg, who the brain works in order to, to change habits. And um, it got me really interested on, on, on sort of the neuroscience of what's going on. And one thing that I learned is that there is no typical brain. There's no correct way to be. And so for them to say that you have a disorder doesn't make any sense because there is no order. It's just a label that, you know, in one way it's put upon people because of, you know, big pharma trying to create, uh, you know, a way to sell mm -hmm. a new product. And another way, because like the American society is designed to churn out factory workers. It's not designed to, um, to let people be creative. But one of the things that really, really, uh, really blew my mind was learning about the associations between focus and creativity. And what that basically is, is that the more focused you are, the less creative you are. People who are excellent at focusing have an inability to think of things that they should focus on. They can just do what they're told. They can't think about what they should be doing. Yeah, yeah. And that was, that was a massive breakthrough to me. It's not that ADHD is a disorder of attention. It's an order or a superpower of being able to be creative, mm -hmm. thinking of inventive solutions. So that led to uh, me, like I left college, I started a blog, um, I started traveling the world for the blog and I started doing experiments on this blog. And in one of, the, one of the experiments, I did a month where I was trying to make myself more productive. Mm -hmm. And in this experiment series, I and every time I wasted time, she would give me a slap in the face. <laughs> I did, it was a really interesting series. Um, and I tracked, I was basically trying to write more. Um, uh, and so what happened was really interesting. For in, in less than four days, I wrote four months of content. Wow. Uh, I basically, I had a person sitting down next to me, slapping me in the face, holding me accountable, <laughs> making sure I And it blew my mind that a small trick of having a human being with a negative reinforcer, a punisher, next uh -huh. to me, changed everything. It, it massively increased my speed. Um, and so I started to think about that. I thought that was really interesting, and I posted an article about it, and this article went super viral. It was, um, I named the article, Why I Hired a Slapper on Craigslist to, uh, to Make Me More Productive. <laughs> and I found out that the word slapper means prostitute in England. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, in this case, because it got picked up by the Daily Mail. That, that like pun made it really, really funny. So I went super viral. So for three days in 2012, I was like hyper famous. I was on TV, I was on, uh, I was on newscasts, I was being called by NPR and every other news station you could talk about. And for those three days, I was really famous. And three days later, I wasn't anymore. Nobody cared. The story was over. Yeah. <laughs> and so I thought to, I was talking to my blog uh, team, and I was like, uh, "What can we do now to like rebuild this viral growth? What would be another viral story?" And I was like, "What if we made like every time I went on Facebook?" Sorry. Uh huh. So I, I called up a friend of mine. We ripped apart a dog collar. He was good with electronics. 
and he helped me make a little prototype of like every time I went on Facebook, it would fire off the dog collar, sort of a little demo. Oh my goodness. And I, we made a video, I was about to post on my blog as another viral post. And then I thought to myself, this is actually really interesting. There's a million wearable devices out there that are tracking what you do, mm -hmm. but this one's actually changing what I do. This one's making a fundamental impact on what I'm actually doing. Maybe this is more important than a funny blog post. Maybe this is actually a real business, a real company, a real product, a real invention that can actually help a lot of people. Yeah. And so that, that was sort of the genesis for the company that we created, which is Pavlock. It's a wearable device. It's at its, I mean, without like batting around words, it's a smart dog shot collar for humans. It's a device that rewards you when you do good habits and a, and a device that gives you an electric zap or a beep when you do bad habits. And what's really cool is by adding that in the moment accountability, by giving uh, like not, it's not about relying on willpower anymore, but it's about programming in your your tasks and your goals. Like I want to walk more, or I want to get off Facebook mm -hmm. by programming that in ahead of time and then receiving the vibrations as rewards when you're doing a good job, but then the beeping and the zapping as a negative reinforcer when you do bad habits or when you, yeah. when you your commitments. What happens is that people's behavior changes so rapidly, so rapidly without worrying about this like, it just take, it doesn't take long, it takes days, not months. Uh, you know, really beliefs follow action and mm -hmm. actions are, are much more motivated by external rewards and external um, stimuli and external environment. And so by creating and crafting an environment that reinforces and enforces positive habits, what happens is that the beliefs and your own internal mindset just naturally changes on its own. So that's what we do. Can you share a little bit more about the reward system? Because I think that's a pretty awesome piece to it. Sure. We started off with the device as a bad habit cessation tool. And that really relied upon using the zap whenever you do a bad habit. Uh, but performing a good habit, it doesn't work the same way. Uh, performing a good habit, negative reinforcement like an electric zap can get you started. But it doesn't make the habit become permanent. And you might eventually just take it off. So what we found very quickly is that negative reinforcement is really good at getting habits started, but positive reinforcement, that's rewards, are important for making habits stick. So what we did was we started off with a simple vibration. Our device was able to give you vibration. And so for example, you could set, um, let's say we have a Chrome extension which you program in the websites you wanna be on and the websites you wanna be off, right? Mm -hmm. And if you go under 50% productive, you'll get a beeping sound, like a warning. If you go under 30%, you get a zap, that's a punisher. But if you go above 80%, you get vibrations every few minutes. Okay. And these vibrations kind of get you in like, oh God, I'm being good right now. I'm getting a, like I know that I'm being good and a vibration is a sign of that goodness. And therefore I want to keep myself in this state of goodness. So what happens is that people rapidly uh, get in that vibration mode and then they stay there. Rather than being po uh, productive for five minutes, they stay productive for four hours or five hours straight. Um, so we took that same layer, that same idea of positive reinforcement, and we added on a couple other things. Um, we added on a point system. It's a, a currency we call volts that's within our app. And you earn these volts for doing good habits. So if you track your sleep and sleep well, um, if you wake up without hitting the snooze button, you'll earn these volts. And these volts right now are redeemable for other habits and other uh, actions and items within the app. And sometime in the next two years, they'll be redeemable for real money. Uh, so you'll actually get paid to do these good habits. And we found that that started to get really, really cool because people now had like this tangible point system that allowed them to be rewarded for good habits. And we took that to the next layer, which has been really cool in the last six months. Um, we created a betting pool. So we have a bunch of people all committing to do their morning routine. And they put a bet down. They say, I'm going to bet between $1 to $10 
each day that I'm going to do my morning routine or go to the gym or fill out my gratitude journal. And every day that they fail, they lose that money. But every day that they succeed, they win that money plus extra from other people who failed. We created this little betting system, a betting pool for good habits. So people actually get paid real, real cash in exchange for doing good habits. That is pretty cool. Yeah. I really enjoy it. It's, it's, it's fun because it's hardware and software, but really at its core, it's focusing on the things that make behaviors change. So how did you go from having this from like a dog collar that you dissected yourself to like being on every popular show podcast that there is sharing about it and changing people's lives? You know, I can't really, like, a lot of people ask me how to go viral. And I said, it's really simple. Just invent a device that shocks you. Um, <laughs> In the, mo in the biggest case, uh, I think that the, co the product itself has this inherent virality, obviously, like more than, more than 50 or 60% of our sales come from word of mouth, people telling their friends. And it's kind of like if you have a device that zaps people, you have to show it to your friends. Like you kind of have to. <laughs> so building that inherent virality, um, interest. Um, so my original co-founder, um, co he helped me design the original Havelock Alpha. And um, he was the inventor of um, Lego Mindstorms, as well as the lead engineer on the Roomba robot. Cool. So he told, me, he told me that back when he was at Lego, whenever they created a new product, they had something called the, um, the Christmas effects, the New Year's effects, yes, and yeah. the Easter effects. And they said that every product has to have these three effects. So on Christmas Day, you're going to open it up in front of your family, and you have to instantly have something fun and cool, something really fun to show off, right? Like if you have an RC car, you put in the batteries and boom, it's driving around. It's fun that moment. Yeah, yeah. Then seven days later on New Year's Day, is it still gonna be used? Is it still have more use than that one, one click pop? Or is it gonna be inside of a closet? It has to be something that still has value one week later. And then uh, 40 days later in, on Easter, the question is, what has happened with that product now? Has it not just become a part of these of these kids daily lives but has it actually transformed them from being sort of a a regular uh you know a kid who got a cool toy and put it in a closet to now i'm a kid who likes to come up with creative ideas and build stuff rather than playing video games right and i think that our product uh it wasn't designed for this purpose but i think it reflects that purpose very well it has that instantaneous like huzzah like it shocks you this is really cool a week later on New Year's Day, it's like, well, it's New Year's resolutions. Like, it's time for you to start your, like, you promised you were going to put this on, honey, and you were going to quit smoking, right? Mm -hmm. And then three months later or four months later on Easter Day, like, look at how your life has transformed thanks to the product. The product has been, the product is not the hero. You're the hero. But the product has been a guide that helped you go from a smoker to a non-smoker, from a person who slept in and missed work to getting up earlier than work and doing your morning routine. And so I think that that inherent, um, the problems that it inherently solves uh, kind of sol kind of makes it sell itself, which has been really good. Hmm. That's some great wisdom that you just shared. Thanks for that. You're welcome. So how has your life changed now from leaving Stanford? Was it Stanford? Yeah, it was my university. Uh, I left there in 2011, 2008, whatever. So back <laughs> like, you know, in the day when you're sharing, you're kind of in that imposter syndrome, like frustrated with school to today. How has your life changed? Um, I think that a lot of people who suffer from ADHD or were told that they suffer from ADHD um, kind of live their life um, sort of sad, 
they kind of like believe that they could be better and they feel like they should be better and they feel like they're broken because they're not able to be better. And they don't realize that their skill set is completely orthogonal to what their conception of good is. And my big breakthrough was that understanding that I'm never going to be a good executor. I'm never going to be good at sitting down and writing every day. I'm never going to be good at consistent uh, like outputs was very liberating because it made me realize that I have some of the best ideas that I, I know from that people would ever experience, but I'm not going to be able to put those into the world and I shouldn't be able to put those into the world because that's not what I'm designed for. What I should be doing is assembling a team of people who are able to take my ideas and execute upon them. No good idea is done by a single person alone. And I guarantee you that if someone is able to go from zero to, to, to 10, that isn't that great or life-changing of an idea. And so what I believe is that uh, my life has changed because number one, I've, been, I've given myself the freedom to, to create or to do what I'm good at, which is to be a visionary and to be a leader. Um, I've given myself the ability to create something that other people can use. And most importantly, um, well, I don't, I don't know if it's most importantly, but I've given myself a, a, a life that has, uh, it's more, I've, I have a lot of freedom in my life. And um, because my, my company is so different than others, um, we have very large goals. And um, like fundamentally, I, I, believe that, I believe that we'll be changing the world in a very large way um, by massively reducing um, uh, addictions, uh, massively reducing mental health, and massively increasing human performance. Um, we have a, I can talk about the large scale goals later on, but because, um, because I believe that we have these major goals and because I, I, because we don't have any sort of competition. Are you familiar with the book Zero to One? No. So there's this book written by Peter Thiel. Um, and he talks about, how, about, about types of companies. And he says that most companies are one to 1.1 companies. So like, I'm going to make a better restaurant. I'm going to make a better mousetrap. I'm going to go into a company. Uh, I'm going to go into a market that already has competition and I'm going to build a better version or a localized version in order to take some of the percentage points away from the competition. Yeah. So those, those companies are the majority of companies and they're one to 1.1 ideas. They're a little bit better, but, um, but there's other types of companies that are very rare. And these are companies where the founders have some intuition, some data nodes that there's a fundamental intuition in a sector that's completely wrong, that the entire sector is approaching the problem the wrong way and that they have a better way that no one is looking in their direction. And once they unveil that sector to be, to that intuition to be wrong, they unveil this entire pasture of green grass that no one has built anything in. And suddenly other companies start to build things in that sector and that's where new businesses come from. And so like a lot of great startups in their early days are sort of um, misunderstood because you wouldn't think people would do that. A good example is uh, Airbnb. You wouldn't think people would let other people stay in their home. And so no, <laughs> yeah. no one was approaching that idea. And they come out and suddenly not only do they create a cool idea, but now millions of people are, are, have built their own businesses off of Airbnb by hosting out their room. Um, another good example is Google. Before them, no one was thinking about using search by looking at different um, link backlinks. They were looking at directories. And by approaching the problem in a different way, they completely built billions of or millions of businesses out of Google Ads, right? And so my belief is that we're human behavior the wrong way. 
Most companies are trying to provide products and services that help you do things. And we're, do, we're building a product and service that makes you do things, that gets you to do things. Yeah. We're, not, we're not focused on help, we're focused on efficacy and on, on adherence. And because I think that's such a massive problem to solve it, I think we figured out how to solve it. I think that, um, and most importantly, because I've been doing this for six years and we have nobody else who's trying to build a product even remotely related to what we're doing, which blows my mind every single day, I think that there's a fundamental intuition in this sector that um, we should be providing people with more data, more information, more help, more positive reinforcement, more pills, more medicine, and not saying, how do we get someone to get punished if they do bad stuff? How do we get someone to accept that there's a penalty, put their money on the line, or get, uh, uh, get, make sure that they, are, um, uh, uh, like that they actually have uh, a real punisher that affects them? Sorry about these. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hang on one sec. It's all good. We'll calm down. And how do we actually make this change happen? And so because of that, um, I think your original question was, how does it change my life? What, it, what, uh, what I was trying to get to is that I have this grand vision, this thing that I'll be working on until I die. And after I die, I want the company to continue to exist. And so because of that, and because there's nobody competing, it's given me a lot of freedom to slow down and build it calmly and quietly and do it in the right way rather than trying to do it in a uh, rapid or... Um, sort of like a VC model, make a lot of money and sell it away. Um, so that's kind of how it's changed. Very cool. I think that a lot of people look at it as when they make it, it's going to be like they'll have more money and more freedom. But I hear you saying that it gives you the ability to take your values and your creativity and help people. Yeah, and take my freedom now. I don't need to make a lot of money now so I can be free later. I, I can make my company be free now, grow at a slower pace but profitable, and let it let it explode without having to worry about, uh, you know, trying to overbuild or blitz scale or anything like that. Now, one question I wanted to ask you is: Have you always had this mindset all your life, or is this something that you've learned through all of these different experiences that you've had? Um, I, I mean, what, which mindset in particular? Just like the mindset to be able to literally walk away from an offer at Shark Tank. And, uh, yeah. you know, like I'm sure people had things to say about that, right? But like how, how did you yeah. do that? Have you always been like that? I was on Mark Cuban's Instagram story yesterday. He was making fun of me. Six years later, that guy won't stop freaking talking about me. It's so weird. I'm like, dude, you're a billionaire. Like, why do you, why do you know my name? It's, like, it's really weird. Um but anyway, uh, so yeah, so I, uh, for the listeners who haven't, aren't familiar with this, I was on Shark Tank, um, and uh, on Shark Tank, I was offered half a million dollars by Mr. Wonderful, um, and I turned down his investment because of ethical reasons. Uh, he was on TV saying that uh, three billion people making a dollar a day is good because it pushes them to work harder, and I felt like that didn't ethically jive with the goals of my company. Mm-hmm. So earlier on, uh, I think that before I started Pavlock, I trusted advisors and rich people a lot more than I trusted myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I had a lot of breakthroughs at my company where I realized that I'm not dumb. Even in sectors that I don't understand, I can add value to that. Mm-hmm. So before like, Shark Tank, uh, I mean, probably even three or four years before Shark Tank, there's no way I would have ever said no to an investment. Secondly, I think that... Um, okay, I think that I've been entrepreneurial ever since I was a kid. That's for sure. I've always had the idea of building new stuff. Um, but I've never been able to... I think that the mindset uh, has really grown over the last few years, especially building a company, having to hire a team, having to fire a team, having to build something that can exist, trying to build a company that runs off profit and not off um, 
you know, equity and venture uh, has sort of changed my has sort of made me evolve and made me realize that I'm slightly different than I used to be. Very cool. So this brings me to what you specialize in is habits and change. And I am curious how you went from this place of being told you had an ADHD disorder to being able to help other people have good habits and change, because that's a hard thing, right? When you have ADHD. Yeah, I think that it's, I think that they're kind of naturally aligned. It's like someone who's good at, at, execution someone who's like a finisher someone who doesn't have adhd right what do they do when they have to get work done well they get off facebook and they get work done but what does somebody who has adhd do well they hire someone to slap them in the face and then make a make a wearable device that shocks them and then use that product to share it with the world because like i'd rather do that than just getting off facebook right awesome so, so i think that um I think that I got okay. I think that I got lucky in the sense that I got um, I, I, okay. Here's what I'm trying to say. I think a lot of people, especially people with my specific personality type, which is this visionary inventor personality type, we are. Um, are you familiar with Myers Briggs? Oh yes. So I'm an ENTP, right? Okay. And uh, uh, my brother, for example, is an ENTJ, and uh, that one letter is about finishing versus starting. So both of us extroverted. Both of us are idea people. Both of us are rational. But he's a finisher and I'm a starter. Okay. And if you look at average salaries against personality types, you'll see everybody's in the middle. And then there's ENTP, the lowest of all personality types. And then there's ENTJ, the highest of all personality types. That one letter shifts the salary on average from highest to lowest in American society. Hmm. And that to me is interesting. And I think it's because people who are ENTPs uh, are jumping around from idea to idea to idea to idea. And they never are ever able to assemble a team that can take their ideas and put them into existence. They simply have, and then they before actually executing upon that first idea. And the only way to make the idea become reality is by, by hiring or finding other people who will actually implement and integrate those ideas for you. So I think that the big thing for me was being lucky enough to find a team of people who were able to take my crazy idea, turn it into something real, and once I had something real, now I can ratchet up my ideas a little, another step. I can take that idea and cut off the, the layers that are impractical because now I have a real physical product that has practicality and impracticality. But I can also now create scale because I have something that's real instead of being not real. So if there's anything I'm trying to get at, it's that people who have this creative mindset who always want to do something and know they could and should be able to do it, but somehow aren't able to get themselves to do it, Rather than feeling like a failure, try to find a partner or, or an assistant or someone you can work with who can take your ideas and convert them into reality because that's going to be the one big thing that ratchets you from where you are to the next step. That is excellent wisdom. So down to the last two questions. We're closing in on time, and you've just been such a great guest sharing your own personal life with us and a lot of wisdom today. Thank you. Of course. You're welcome. Can you share with us your favorite book of all time? Yeah, uh, my favorite book of all time. I have two, um, and these uh, these have shifted over time. But right now, my two favorite books are Anti Fragile, which is by Nassim Taleb, um, and that book is about um, sort of how to, uh, it's hard to explain, but it's how um, how to create a life and how to create a world where you gain from randomness. So things like crashes or crises make you stronger rather than weaker. Mm. And the second book that's been really, really powerful to me is a book called Sapiens 
by Yuval Harari, and it's a book that that traces the history of humanity from the uh, creation of our human species until the present day. And it really made me take a long-term view upon what I'm doing and uh, how the world can change. Very cool. I'll link all this in the show notes at synergymindsetcoaching.com backslash Manish Sethi. And last one is what is your favorite podcast right now? I rarely listen to podcasts. I always do audible books. So right now at this moment, my favorite podcast is the one that we are on. (laughs) Synergy Mindset. Nice. Thanks for that. All right, so just to leave off, can you tell everybody where is the best place they can follow you? It will all be linked in, of course, at the show notes page. And then if you wish to share any parting words of guidance, the mic is all yours. Uh, so you can check us out at pavlock.com, P-A-V-L-O-K.com. Uh, and I think something that might be interesting for your listeners, uh, we recently created a program to help people completely shift their habits uh, and completely shift their business. Uh, it's like a 90-day program where we have a coach who holds you accountable to the tasks that are most important for you. Um, Something that's very interesting, and if you're interested in in changing your habits, one thing that's really important is that very few people really understand habits as deeply as we do at Pavlock, and and nobody has the ability to communicate with you um, via touch um, in the moment. And so we created a program that helps you do that. And if anybody's interested in really, really fundamentally changing their habits, um, go over to pavlock.com. At the top, there's a coaching button. And um, if you schedule a free call, uh, you'll meet our coach and we'll give you kind of a habit roadmap to, to change your life. Welcome back. There were so many takeaways from Manish today. Whatever challenge that you're facing in your own life, whether it's ADHD or something else, there is hope that you can turn it into your superpower. If this interview helped you or you know anyone that you feel it will help, please share it with them or on your social media. Thank you so much for being a part of the Synergy community. 